Imagine it's the middle of World War II. Imagine there's a war going on. You're in the trenches and you are fighting a bunch of people in the other trenches. So in, in the middle of you is no man's land, right? A piece of land separating you and your enemy. And there's bullets flying everywhere and there's bombs going off and there's just craziness and, and uh, explosions lighting up the sky, people screaming, guys crying, people falling around all over the place. It's just, uh, just chaos and there's just anarchy. It's, just, it's a craziness going on. And in the midst of all of this, someone kind of climbs up the ladder and uh, holding a picnic basket takes a a peaceful little stroll out into the middle of no man's land. Bullets flying past his head, bullets skimming his shoulder, maybe ripping his jacket. And you're looking at this guy thinking to yourself, this man is going to get himself killed. Anyway, he keeps going, walking calmly out into the middle of no man's land and then proceeds to unpack his picnic basket. So takes out a picnic blanket and kind of throws it up in the wind. And as the wind catches it, it it unfolds and then kind of lands on the ground. As this is making its way down toward the ground, a bullet flies through the picnic blanket and another one and another one. And some shrapnel rips the blanket on its, as it's on its way down. But eventually, tattered and torn, it ends up lying on the floor. And this person who is making their picnic seems pretty unfazed by the fact that uh, <laughs> his bullet's flying through his blanket, but he carries on setting up his picnic. And so he gets into his picnic basket, takes out a glass, two glasses, uh, champagne glasses. As he's about to put them down, a bullet flies through the one, shattering it in his hand, but he doesn't even look at that and just carries on putting it down, still unaware that he's in the middle of a war zone. And then he carries on unpacking, unpacks a breadboard, takes out some bread, like a nice French baguette out on the breadboard and got some butter and some really fancy cheeses and some fruit going on and there's some cream and some chocolate happening and maybe a few of those nice little Woolworths meatballs that go on over there. And and basically he, he sets up this elaborate picnic and as he's putting things down, some things are just getting absolutely destroyed by the war that's going on around him. And even here, it's amazing that he's not getting hit, that he's not getting shot by bullets, that things, the shrapnel is just kind of missing his head. Things are bouncing uh, off rocks all around him. And he just kind of quietly sits down in the middle of this war zone, chaos still going on all around him, uh, picks up his little champagne flute and has a sip out of his champagne, looks over at the kind of the sun setting on the horizon that he can just barely see through the, the smoke of the bombs that have been exploding. And then uh, has, a, has a biscuit with some beautiful blue cheese on it and just takes it all in, just seeming really satisfied with himself that he's been able to find this really perfect picnic spot where nobody else seems to be while they're all fighting. As you think about that scene, uh, if you're like me, it, it's a bit ridiculous, Right? I mean, what kind of person makes a picnic in a war zone? Nobody. People would not do that. The man, he wouldn't even have made it to the the no man's land space. He would have been killed on his way there. And yet, so many of us do exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to our spirituality. Because so many of us don't realize that when we said yes to following Jesus, when we said yes to the light, there is also a very real darkness. There's a resistance to our souls. The Bible talks about someone who's the enemy of our souls, uh, someone who roams around like a roaring lion wanting to devour 
human beings. The Bible talks about an evil that is set and intent on the destruction of humanity. We have an enemy. We are actually, believe it or not, as people who are after truth, trying to live in the light, those wanting to follow Jesus, we are in a war and yet so many of us are busy having a picnic in a war zone. And that's what I want to speak about in this episode today. Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is the Follower Podcast, and everyone is invited to the conversation. So what are we talking about when we talk about this picnic in a war zone? Well, um, if you are not someone who follows Jesus and the world of Christianity is not familiar to you, and actually, even if you are, when we consider the state of so much of our Christianity in the world today, the phrase spiritual warfare is probably a strange phrase or maybe even a new phrase to you. Um, basically, the idea is this. We, we don't exist in a neutral universe. We don't exist in a, new, in a neutral universe. Um, there are forces at work beyond us. And this is one of the main obstacles for people in terms of coming to faith in God, particularly in developed sort of first world spaces where reason is king. And we've had this conversation time and time again on the podcast. Uh, if the material universe is all that we acknowledge is real, we shut ourselves down to so much of what it means to be human and alive. Because the reality is that you are not primarily a, a physical being alone, you have a spirituality. There is something else going on here beyond you. There's a story behind the story. The Bible says it this way. It says that no person has an excuse not to believe in God because all of creation testifies to his existence. I remember when I was a young boy, uh, my earliest memory actually is sitting with my dad fishing and looking up at the sunset and asking him, dad, um, how do you know that there's a God? And his response to me was that he looked at the sun and he said, well, who put that in the sky? And I think that settled it for me, you know. I've always been someone who really just believes that there's more going on here. There's more. This is going somewhere. Uh, you know, what that is, we can have conversations about that, but that there is something else. I, I, I'm, not, um, I'm not able to believe <laughs> that, that the physical world is all that there is. I'm not, I don't have the capacity for that in, in reality. Uh, I, my, my sheer existence is far too compelling as evidence to the contrary. There's a depth in my soul that, that I really believe I do have. There is something else going on here. And as soon as I acknowledge that, as soon as I acknowledge source or um, a, a, the point from which I am made or or, or that greater narrative into which I fall, that greater reality of existence that I'm a part of, that hum, somehow roots me into the story of this world and this universe and uh, everything that's around me. As I'm speaking to you, I'm looking out the window at this beautiful forest here in Germany, and we've just come through autumn and are now in winter, and uh, you know the leaves have been falling, and I walk through the river and the creek in the mornings, and the, and the water runs, and uh, it's getting cold and I feel that wind blow through my face. And I think about the heritage of the men and women who have lived in this place many, many years before me, hundreds of years and thousands of years living uh, here in Germany. And even in this very forest and even in this very castle that I'm recording this message in right now, you know, and I realize that, that I'm not at the center of the universe, that I am 
part of something bigger than myself. And, you know, for the longest time, people have called that bigger than myself thing God. For me, the word God is just a container for an idea. And the key, the key is that we try and wrestle with what that idea is and what that truth is and what that personality is, that entity is, that creative force behind all things is. And when we start to wrestle with that truth, what we start to find is that uh, th- that truth, it, for me at least, is is best accessed through the person of Jesus. <laughs> and I just I just have a deep conviction about this. I uh, just last week I was in a refugee camp, and I was having a conversation with a man called Suleiman. Uh, what a wonderful man, uh, passionate about life and truth and God, and he was an Islamic man. Um, and and as much as we spoke and listened and, and and we really were great friends at the end and hopefully we'll get to keep meeting and keep having conversations and I so appreciated so much of what he had to say but uh, regardless of how we tried to wrestle it down I just could not move past the conviction that for me Jesus is the most compelling revelation of reality and in Jesus I find uh, I find love with skin on. Uh, not just tolerance, n- not just mild celestial indifference and patience, but but actually uh, powerful love and affection bent in the direction of humanity. Um, I, I see in the cross of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus, in the message of Jesus, both spoken and lived in in the in the eternal realities of Jesus that echo into this present moment. I see the substance of what my soul longs for. And I must follow him. And so as I start to follow him, and as I start to really understand who he is and, and what he's about, um, through the scriptures, through other people, through experiences, what I start to find is that there is not only abundant light, the, you know, the, the, he is the light of the world that has come. Uh, those living in darkness have seen a great light, but there is also an, uh, an antithetical darkness. Again, we, we try to live in neutral terms so that we don't offend anyone in our current culture. But you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do with the problem of evil? Right? Where does it come from? What is its source? In, in macro scales and in micro scales. And we've had this conversation before again. Wouldn't it be so easy if we could find all the evil people in the world and just get them in a corner and just punish them or get rid of them and then our world would be peaceful? Except that. The line between good and evil doesn't run between people, but between every human heart. And so we know that there is evil in the world, and we know that this evil uh, is not is not for our good. It's not for us. It's not on our side. It's not rooting for us as people. This this evil intends to destroy us. The Bible has a name for this evil. The Bible calls this evil the Satan, the deceiver, uh, the accuser. Um, and Jesus is having a fascinating conversation uh, with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. And he's really talking about who he is. And he's talking about how he really is the fulfillment of so many things. And these Pharisees who are religious people, uh, who, are, who are steeped in the law of the prophets, refuse to accept that Jesus is who he says he is. And so they get into this argument and, and Jesus starts saying that, if, if you really were of God, then you would believe that I am who I say I am. Because those who accept me, accept the Father, right? And so this is, and can I just say, this is the contentious issue as a side point. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, and he raised such a great point. He said, 
uh, in our time today, it's not Jesus that's the problem. It's Jesus Christ that's the problem, right? It, it's not Jesus who, who's a nice man and a moral teacher and a philosophical leader that people have a problem with. Everyone likes Jesus. But as soon as, as soon as Jesus claims to be the Christ, the anointed one, the, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself, the absolute truth, the uncompromising, undeniable, absolutely necessary uh, and unique reality that all of us, all of us must conform ourselves to. That's that's when he gets rejected. People are fine if Jesus is an optional, nice addition to their already comfy lives. But when the truth of who he is confronts us and calls us to our higher existence, that's when people start to reject Jesus. That has always been the case. That's why they assassinated him on a cross, and that is the case now. People will tolerate conversation of Jesus as long as you keep him in the realm of just one among many. But when you elevate him to his rightful place, as the Bible describes, as king over the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, to which every knee will bow and every tongue confess uh, that he is Lord, that's when you start to run into conflict and difficulty. And so that's what's happening here. And so Jesus is in this argument in John chapter eight with these Pharisees. Um, and so they're really indignant. And, and they say to him, uh, I'm reading now from uh, verse 43, uh, 42 here. He says, he says, they say to him, indignant, they responded, what are you talking about? We only have one father, God himself. We're not illegitimate children. In, and that's a little stab at Jesus because remember, his mom, Mary, uh, he was born of immaculate conception. So there would have been rumors in his little village where he was born that he was a bastard child, that he was born without a father. And so that's a little dig at him. But then Jesus responds, and this is where it gets real. Like Jesus, again, you got to <laughs> bear this in mind. Jesus is not some hippie sitting around a campfire just singing Kumbaya. Jesus is a, is a revolutionary, right? And that's really why they assassinated him because he was massively inconvenient. And so here he is in verse 42, and he says this, uh, if God were really your father, you would love me for I've come from his presence. I didn't come here on my own, but God sent me to you. Why don't you understand what I say? You don't understand because your hearts are closed to my message. How many people are confused about the things of God and the things that Jesus is preaching and teaching? Not because those things are actually confusing, but because their hearts are closed to his message. He carries on saying this in verse 44. He says, you are the offspring of your father, the devil, and you serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires. He's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth for he is full of nothing but lies. Lying in his, is his native tongue. He is a master of deception and the father of lies. But I am the true prince who speaks nothing but truth. Yet you refuse to believe and you want nothing to do with me. So here, here is Jesus. He's claiming to be the son of God. He's getting into this argument with these Pharisees who refuse to accept this. And Jesus is saying, the reason you can't accept who I am is because actually you are influenced by your father, the devil, and that, and that this father is the father of lies. And he's been a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And when he, he lies, he speaks in his native tongue. Okay, now what, what does this have to do with anything? Well, when we speak about spiritual warfare and these kinds of things, when we speak about darkness that has an intention for us, when we sp speak about the war zone that we're a part of, very quickly uh, we can move toward uh, hype 
and sort of images of the exorcist, right? And people's heads spinning around 360 degrees and basically horror movie, Hollywood stuff. And I would say that one of the great dangers when it comes to spirituality and particularly spiritual warfare is when we allow it to become satire, when we allow it to become superstitious in its nature. In other words, uh, we kind of, uh, we relate to the devil in the same way that we do to our superstitions. We don't walk under ladders. We carry a lucky rabbit's foot. We walk around the pole three times. Uh, we, we enter into formulaic superstitious ways of being. And in so doing, we get all caught up in those things and we actually miss the point of what's going on. And I would say that I, it's not that I don't believe in uh, the demonic. I absolutely do. I think the Bible's full of that kind of stuff. So that I don't believe in possession and oppression and the need for deliverance and all these kinds of ministries. I think, again, we see Jesus doing that all over the, th- all over the place. But I think at a base level, uh, tier one, the, the primary work of the enemy in attacking us. Now, who is the enemy? Well, number one, you have an enemy. You're in a war zone again. <laughs> and it's particularly true if you're a follower of Jesus, you know. Uh, when you step into the light, you choose to step out of the darkness and the darkness doesn't like that. This accuser doesn't like that. Uh, and so what is this accuser's number one strategy to get you off course? It is the lie. It's the lie. It's the deception. Yes. And, and think about it this way. Imagine if the devil, imagine, hypothetically, imagine with me that there is a devil. Okay. So just agree with me for that first second. And hypothetically agree that the, when the Bible says this devil is like a roaming lion whose intention is to steal and kill and destroy, it wants to break you down. Uh, let's, let's assume that's true as well. If this devil came to your front door and knocked on your front door, okay, and you opened the front door, and there stood a man in the satir- satirical kind of horns and a cape and a fork uh, and all the fire and brimstone stuff and said to you, hello, my name's the devil. I'd like to rob you of your humanity and ultimately steal your soul. Could I have it, please? <laughs> uh, you, you, what would you do? You would slam the door. You would not be interested in having a conversation with this devil because no, I don't want to lose my soul. Thank you very much. Uh, and I don't want you to rob me of my humanity. Thank you very much. So then, so then how would the devil be effective in derailing your life? It would be in the subtleties of your, of your belief systems. And so uh, do, we, do these things escalate perhaps to some kind of things like demonic oppression and possession and these kinds of things? Of course. But, but what's, the, what's the root level of all these things that all of us as human beings on this planet need to struggle with day after day? Uh, it is that substrate, base attack, base resistance to the fullness of who you are as a person, which is the lie. It is, it is the seed of a belief that has been planted in your mind and in your heart that derails your life. It's, it's like a compass bearing, right? Uh, I can be just one degree off right now in this moment and it doesn't seem like a lot. But if I keep traveling day after day, year after year in the same direction that was one degree off, only one degree off from the true north, after enough time, just that one degree makes a huge amount of difference and I can find myself in a completely different place on the planet, right? It's the same with you. A lie that gets sown into your life, many lies, broken ways of believing things, these have a way of deceiving you and getting you off course. And they are one of the most subtle and powerful ways that this devil who is real uh, gets you to derail your life and move you out of what God has for you. 
These are the bullets that are flying around in the war zone while so many of us make a picnic in our own selfish spiritualities, right? Uh, this is what spiritual warfare is. It's not even necessarily all that glamorous, hectic uh, Hollywood stuff. Sometimes it just looks like uh, choosing truth in a moment. Spiritual warfare. So where do we go from here? What lies maybe have, have been sown into your life that are derailing you? Number one, I would say that for most people that I speak to, their expectation of, of life is far too low. There's a lie that started before they even got involved in the game. It's, it's that they've set such a low standard for their humanity that they don't realize that they're living below and beneath their potential. So, so, may, so many people are shipwrecked and they don't even know that they're shipwrecked because they, they aren't aware that they were actually made to sail on the ocean. Many people actually just believe that the purpose of their life was to be a shipwreck. And so then they go about day after day just trying to make a pretty shipwreck instead of, instead of sort of uh, defiantly believing that no, ships are made for the ocean, right? Same is true for you. You, my friend, if you're listening to this, you are human, <laughs> you are human. What is a human? Imago Dei. You were created with a purpose and an intention. You were created to be the very image bearer of God on this planet. That is massive. You, you, are, you are eternity in a skin suit breathed into by the creator of all the world. You have a redemptive purpose. The Bible tells us that you are the masterpiece of God. You are artwork by the creator, by the hands of the creator. And he has purpose things for you in advance that you should walk in them, redemptive, beautiful things. You are agents of reconciliation. You are the very mouthpiece of God to a world, asking the world to come back to its creator. You were once not a people. You once didn't have a place, but now you've been made a people. You've been given a nation. You were once lost in darkness, but now you've been brought into light. I could go on and on and on with the immensity of what the Bible says about you because you're a human being. Your expectation for what it should mean to be alive on this side of eternity should be immense. And yet, most of us who live in the world have already believed the lie that we should settle for far, far less. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, the problem with human beings is that we are far too easily pleased. We settle for making mud pies in our garden because we don't know that a holiday at the sea is available. And that's one of the very first lies is that we've just set our expectation far too low. And that's spiritual warfare, friend. Spiritual warfare starts with you raising the bar and not settling for your dysfunction anymore, Right? Not, not just acquiescing and throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, well, this is just the way it is. No, it's not just the way it is because you were created to be an image bearer of the divine creator. That's why you're here. That's why you're on the planet, to carry his image into the world. What a beautiful thing. But where do we go from there? Once we've seen that lie and once we start to embrace, well, that, that actually we are made for more. How do we enter into that more, right? I think it starts with the renewal of our mind. And I think it starts aligning ourselves with truth. So if lies are the issue, then truth is the solution, right? If there's, a, if there's someone who is the darkness, an enemy and an accuser and a Satan, and that his first language is lies, and if Jesus' first language is truth, and he is the one who wants us to have life and life to the full, he is the one who wants to restore our humanity to us, well, then we better get busy learning the truth and rejecting the lie. And, and how do we do that? Well, 
uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, there's this beautiful passage around the armor of God. And I don't want to stick too strongly to this as a metaphor, but I do think it gives us some beautiful anchors that we can start with in terms of applying truth to our minds and allowing that to renew how we think and live. Right? So one of the first things it, th- it talks about is this, this helmet of salvation that we put on. Right? So you imagine uh, it's giving you this analogy of warfare uh, apparel so you, or warfare clothing. So you've got a, a helmet and a sword and a shield and a belt and some boots and a breastplate. Okay, so the helmet, imagine that. Imagine this helmet that covers your mind is called the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? It means with, with, uh, that we read about in Corinthians that what Jesus has done is that he has made peace between man and God. That through the person of Jesus, you have salvation from the destruction of your wayward ways of living. What is sin? You see, again, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, and that the wages of sin is death. Now, what we do is we take that and we make it all moralistic. And so we say, well, then our response is that we need to stop smoking, drinking, swearing, sleeping around, etc. But that's actually too, uh, that we're missing the point because the word sin, what it actually means, it, it means to miss the mark. Okay, it's an archery term. So imagine you're shooting an arrow and you, you miss the bullseye, you miss the mark, you miss the target. Okay, that's what sin actually means, to miss the mark. But the question is, to miss the mark of what? And I would submit to you that when we talk about missing the mark, it is to miss the mark of the glory of God. And what is the glory of God? The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Why? Because human beings are imago Dei, image bearers. So in other words, when we sin, we miss the mark of our humanity. So, in, so sin is really our fallen humanity. We are, we are subhuman in our sinfulness. And Jesus' work is to re- restore and redeem our humanity. He wants to make you human again. So this is why the helmet of salvation is such a beautiful thing because it is around the mind where, where the lies operate and it brings truth into our mind, this hel- salvation that Jesus offers. And it gives us the surety in our mind that we have access to the Father so we can enter back into our humanity. Where do we see this operating? In the garden, Adam and Eve, Right? Uh, and they make this choice to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they rebel against God's truth and they end up missing the mark of their humanity, sinning. And what does that do? It gives them shame. So they go hiding in the garden and they're now separated from the very friendship with God that would redeem and heal them. Okay. And so then what, is, what does salvation look like? It helps us understand that the consequence of our rebellion has been paid for, that God's not angry that you can come out of the garden because there is no, no, no longer shame for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Why in Christ Jesus? Well, because he's the only one offering this. <laughs> you know, people would say, well, why can't I get this through, through Muhammad or through Buddha or through Vishnu? Simply because they are not offering that. So I would say the same thing to you. Don't come to me and ask me, me to play you a symphony on a violin. I can't do it. Why? Because I don't know how to play violin. So if you're expecting a violin a symphony from me, I'm probably even using the wrong language. That's how much I don't even understand about this stuff. If, that were, if that's what you're expecting from me, you're going to be disappointed because that's not what I'm offering because that's not what I carry. And so if you want, if you're expecting compassion from God, then you need to go to Jesus because he's the only one who's offering that. You can't can't go to Muhammad and ask him to extend compassion and grace and justification for your brokenness. No, if you go to Muhammad, what you're going to get is 
is your pillars and prayers and your disciplines in order to to achieve God's forgiveness for your life and God's favor over your life. And in truth, you won't even be sure about that in this lifetime. If you're going to go to Vishnu or one of the other millions of gods within a Hindu worldview, you're going to get a depersonalized kind of God and actually you're going to hope for enlightenment in some way, shape or form, but the likelihood is that you're going to be reincarnated in some other form. You're not sure. So if you're looking for grace, if you're looking for salvation, if you're looking for something that pulls you out of your shame and says, God's not angry, come to me and receive your healing. The reason you have to come to Jesus is because Jesus is the only one who's offering that gift. And when you do come to him, here's the beautiful thing, is that you do find a saving that happens in that moment. Because why? If you're sick, you don't first get healed before you go to the doctor. If you're sick, you run to the doctor and he's the one who heals you. And one of the problems we have in our relating to God is that so many of us are sick with the lies that have caused us to sin and miss our humanity. And we've been told that we first need to tidy ourselves up before we go to the God who alone can restore us. But actually what we need is to run to our God broken because he's the only one who can make us whole. And Jesus is the one who gives us access, a way. He's the one who declares a truth that God's not angry. Come out of hiding. Don't hide in the bushes. Come to the Father and receive your healing. In fact, it's not only that you have to come to the Father, but it's the Father that is running to you. That's the beauty of salvation, right? And when we start to get our heads around that, when we no longer hide in the bushes, but we run to the Father, when we believe that truth, that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can start running into His presence and find our healing. And that running toward God is spiritual warfare, right? Worship is a weapon. Pursuing, it's not only about what you resist, it's also about what you pursue. And so as we run into His presence, we find immense healing there. Uh, carrying on going, and it says that we get this breastplate of righteousness, right? Again, over our hearts. That we, when we talk about what Jesus has done on the cross, and many of you may have heard this before, that when Jesus died, he took away your sin. But it's not only what he took away, it's what he put on. To say that he just took away your sin is to preach half a gospel. To tell the whole story is to also talk about what he gave you. And what did he give you? He gave you his righteousness. He gave you right standing with God. He, 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 he gave you the favor of the Father, right? And so now, though Ephesians chapter 2, though we were once enemies of God, though we once rebelled against God, but God in Jesus has made us right with the Father. And so now we are seated with him in heavenly places. <laughs> okay, so that covers your heart. Okay, that's a safe place for your emotions. You can come to the Father because you know that you are made righteous by the Father. You're accepted by this God. He invites you into friendship with Him. Then we have this thing called the shield of faith, a defensive shield of faith. And its job is to, to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Again, another enemy picture, right? And what is the shield of faith? It's saying um, there will be time and time and time and time again when you will hear the same words that Adam and Eve heard in the garden. Did God really say? And we hear this, man, the loudspeakers are turned up in our culture at the moment around this, right? We know the things that are true and we know the truth we find in Scripture and in the person of Jesus. And yet our society is shouting from every angle. Did God really say that? Did God really say this? Did God really say the next thing? Doing everything they can to undermine the faith that would strengthen us and enable us to step into our humanity. And yet we know that without faith, it's actually impossible to please God, right? And so we have the shield of faith so that when those arrows come at us, they hit a predetermined conviction that we will plant ourselves in the things that Jesus has said. 
And we don't live by sight, but we live by faith. Okay, so that's a decision we make. It's a truth that we embrace. And then there's this, this belt of truth that holds everything together. Jesus himself being the truth, right? And again, this is difficult in a relativistic world because we don't even believe in truth anymore. But I want to say again and again and again, truth is real. Truth is Jesus. And when we align ourselves with him, we reap the benefits of being well aligned with, with reality as it is. The truth of who we are and who God is in the universe that we're a part of. Okay, And so Jesus is this belt of truth that holds everything together. As we choose that for ourselves, that's spiritual warfare. We resist the lies of the enemy and enter into the truth of God. We have these boots of the gospel, right? These shoes of peace in the gospel. Wherever we walk, we, we have a predisposition that where we go, we bring the message of Jesus. Now, what is the message of Jesus? We've been made these agents of reconciliation, pleading with people to come back to God, to be reunited with the Father. Uh, we have the declaration of the kingdom of God, a new reality that's been born in our world. Can you see how much bigger than this, this is than just going to church on Easter and Christmas? Can you see it? Are you starting to see? What does this have to do with spiritual warfare? As you immerse yourself in these realities, you build up a resistance to the lies and the deceptions of the father of lies, whose desire it is to derail your life. Okay, And so as I put on these shoes of the gospel and I determine that where I go, I will bring the story of Jesus, it's far more uh, it's far more unlikely that I will be derailed by every other narrative that's trying to pull my attention and my affection. And then we have the sword of the spirit. And I love this because it's one of the only offensive we weapons, right? The other ones are defensive, but the sword of the spirit is offensive. And what is the sword of the spirit? I think of uh, Acts and Jesus says to his disciples, he says, wait, then you will receive the spirit. And when you receive the spirit, then you will be able to be my witnesses, and that the Spirit is often described in the Bible as dunamis, as dynamite power. And so it is the very presence of God alive inside the believer. And as we have the Spirit of God, we are then equipped with the power of God in order to act as, as declarers and missionaries in the world, people who bring the reality of Jesus in our workplaces, in our families, and in our school contexts, and in our universities, these places that we go, right? And so all of these things start to come together and we start to develop an armor with which we can resist the lies of the enemy. And that's just a brief introduction to some spiritual warfare. Well, what does this mean to you and to me as we take it away today? I think number one, stop making a picnic in a war zone, right? It doesn't mean that you have to be preoccupied with angels and demons and darkness and devils everywhere you go. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis says, uh, he says, when it comes to the devil, we do one of two things wrong. Either we take the devil too seriously in that we're always binding, breaking and loosing everything under the sun. So we burn our porridge, that must be the devil. And therefore, <laughs> and you've met people like this and I've met people like this and, and I don't know if that's helpful. But the other end of the spectrum is just as unhelpful, which is that we live in the world as if this is a static universe. Uh, as if this is a neutral universe and there is no enemy of our soul and there is no one who's trying to rob us of our humanity and derail us from the purposes of God. And so we just kind of cruise through life um, anesthetized by our comforts, entertainments and distractions, uh, unaware that the whole time the father of lies is subtly slipping arsenic into our champagne glasses until such time as he kills us. Right? And, and what's necessary is us for, to, for us to enter into the tension of 
consciousness that we are in a war, but celebration and confidence that we stand in the light and then pursuing the light with everything that we have. I love Dallas Willard's words. He says, spiritual formation is spiritual warfare, right? So as you pursue the Father and as you as you build a rhythm of life that is about friendship with Jesus, as you seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things are added. And how do we seek first the kingdom of God? Well, we renew our minds and we align it with the truth of salvation. We cover our heart and our affection with the reality of righteousness. We put up a shield of faith so that we don't lose our confidence in Jesus. We determine that our paths will be for the purposes of the gospel and everywhere we go, we'll carry the message of Christ. And we live by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to use that power to bring gospel reality to the world in which we live. And all of this is held together by the belt of truth, who is Jesus himself. And as we start to live in these realities, pursue Jesus with our whole hearts and live into the authority that we've been given as sons and daughters of God. Again, a whole gospel, not a half a gospel, seated in heavenly places. As we live into those realities, we are less susceptible to the lies of the devil. Don't be so easily pleased. Stop settling for mud pies in the back of your garden because you were made for a holiday in the ocean. Much more than that, you were made for the kingdom of God. More than that, you were made for the king himself. Okay, when Jesus thinks human, (laughs) when Jesus looks at you, he has a picture in mind that is far more than you could possibly think, dream, or even imagine. And when you apply your faith in the direction of his truth, you can start to live into the reality. Will you see that reality in its fullness on this side of eternity? No, you won't. When you enter into the next side of eternity, then it will then it'll be in its fullness. You know, we see dimly but in a mirror. But can you taste it to increasing measure on this side of eternity? You absolutely can. You don't have to settle for a subpar life. You can pursue the king. And as you pursue the king, you can start to live increasingly in his kingdom and you can come alive to what it truly means to be human. But it's going to mean you packing up the picnic blanket, putting away the champagne glasses, uh, packing down the cheese and the rolls, putting it all away and recognizing that actually you're in a battle. And if you're going to be in a battle, you need to take some responsibility for your own progress as well. And you need to apply yourselves to the pursuit of the light and the kingdom and the truth of God. And when you do that, you will start to enter into your humanity. So that's a crash course on some ideas around spiritual warfare. I hope it's helpful for you. Um, Again and again and again, please review, like, share. That helps the podcast get out and I believe in the work. Uh, If you want to get in touch, you can message me directly. I'd love to chat more about it with you. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about evangelism. So that should be exciting. I hope that you're listening close to that one. See you then, guys. Bye.